0: Well, good evening. It's good to be with you. If you've got your Bible, turn with us to Luke chapter 2, and we welcome everyone who's with us this evening. We welcome those who are watching us on live stream, and we're glad we could be together for this occasion. We commonly call this one of our chair series. Uh, Michelle's two little girls gigglingly told me tonight I'm going to sit in a high chair. And that's better than a bar stool, I guess, so here we are. But, well, we like to do this occasion where we can talk back and forth. We've got some questions we're going to ask. It's on a central theme, central topic tonight, and something that uh, the world kind of looks at today, and we want to kind of look at it from a biblical perspective. So we encourage you to get your Bibles out and join with us as we engage in this study. We're going to be talking about the birth of Jesus, and the birth of Jesus is a biblical fact. It's something that we should be able to talk about comfortably no matter what the calendar says. Any day of the week we'll be able to talk about this. And as we go through this this evening, we're going to see some things the Bible teaches. We're going to ask some questions about when and why he was born. And we're going to talk a little bit about some common uh, misunderstandings people have, misconceptions about this. Uh, Some things that maybe you grew up always hearing and when we look in our bible it's not exactly the way we saw this and so we're doing this for lots of reasons we're doing this for one reason for our younger folks so they get to understand these things and to appreciate what the bible teaches because we are interested in following the bible exactly what god says and to look at some things along that line
1: we'll start reading in luke chapter 2 if you'd like to read along with me beginning in verse 1 of course this is one of Two different accounts, and we'll talk a little in just a moment about maybe why we have four different accounts of Jesus' life. Luke tells us in Luke chapter 2, verse 1, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people." All who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called (coughs) Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Roger, I, I mentioned that is one of four different gospel accounts. And so, as you said, we want to get to some common misconceptions and what this story means to us here in just a little while. But let's start with what we actually read in the gospels. Why four different accounts of Jesus' life?
0: Well, each of the authors, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, through the Holy Spirit, are directed to a specific audience. So Matthew is writing to Jews. And so he leans heavily upon the kingdom of God, son of David. Those are common expressions. A lot of Old Testament in the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew begins with the birth of Jesus, very similar to what Luke does. Mark is is written to Roman Christians And it's like the Cliff Note version of the Gospels. It's very condensed. And he begins with Jesus preaching. So he doesn't begin with the birth. He just begins with the ministry gospel of luke we just also read about luke was kind of a universal gospel in a sense he's writing to gentiles predominantly and he's going to talk a lot about how jesus is a friend to all people and so the the parables and the miracles of jesus we, we read a lot about the samaritans and the outcasts in the gospel of luke he begins with the same idea of the birth of jesus John was a universal gospel written to uh, the whole world, to everybody. And he begins in John 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So John begins even before Jesus came to earth, identifying that he is deity all along. So we got four different views, four different perspectives, four different uh, standpoints of looking at these things. But together, they give this wonderful, wonderful picture of who Jesus is. And so when we, when we think about Jesus' birth. Uh, I think we understand the central part of his ministry was coming to the cross. Now, that's what it was all about. Him coming and dying on the cross, being resurrected for the salvation of our souls. And so, why didn't he just start as an adult? Why be born as a baby? And the Bible tells us very little about his life until he starts preaching. And why about that?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, I, we usually mention at times like this that uh, we know the questions, we don't know the answers that, that each other are going to offer. Uh, when we started talking about this question several days ago, um, there, were, there were several answers that came to my mind, but I tried to kind of condense it as much as possible. The first one that immediately stands out to me is, to fulfill prophecy. We know, and we'll probably revisit before we're done, God had promised through the prophet Isaiah that a virgin would conceive and bear a son, that that son would come to be known as Emmanuel, God with us. And we know that Matthew picks up Isaiah chapter 7, that prophecy, and connects it to the events that he's recording in matthew chapter 1 and so why a baby well number one to fulfill prophecy number two to fulfill a promise that old 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 promise that stretches all the way back to the garden of eden in genesis chapter 3 that an offspring of the woman seed of the woman from that point forward you don't read about children being born into families with that sort of language, right? You read Genesis and it is consistently the seed of man. But there was this promise in Genesis 3, a seed of woman would come and eventually crush the head of a serpent. And we read carefully Luke, we read carefully Matthew's Gospel, and those writers are very careful. To deliver to us words of angels, for instance, that tell us this child that was going to be born would be conceived from the Holy Spirit. He did not have an earthly father, a physical father the way that we think of. But if you go back to your, in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 2, there were two other things that I jotted down that I think are really, really important. First of all, to sympathize with us, to become that sympathetic high priest that is described in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 2, if we started reading in verse 5, the writer says it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are now speaking. It has been testified somewhere, what is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him? What he's doing is reaching all the way back to Psalm 8 and applying it to this Jesus. You have made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. For everyone you skip down to verse 14 where the writer says since therefore the children share in flesh and blood he himself likewise partook of the same things and if we kept reading we could go to Hebrews 4 and he he emphasizes that by living this sort of life by partaking of flesh and blood He is a high priest who is able to sympathize with us, sympathize with our weaknesses, sympathize with what it means to be tempted. He would not have been able to do that, I believe, had he not experienced growing up. Jesus knew what it was to be a 15-year-old. We don't often think about that because we don't really have those sorts of descriptions, but if I could throw one more into the mix, if you go back to Philippians chapter 2, I think the idea of teaching us humility, had he simply appeared as a 30-year-old out of nothing and started his ministry... I'm not sure Paul would have been able to write what he did in Philippians chapter 2 that bridges all the way to us. You remember how in verse 5, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born, in the likeness of men. And of course, he goes on to talk about what he accomplished in his death. But being born in the likeness of men and attaching that to the call for all of us to have this humble mind. We don't know a lot about his early years, but we do know he experienced what it is to be human.
0: Well, and, and Hebrews 4, again, tells us that he is without sin. Yeah. So had he, had he been here at age 30 and just lived here three years? Yeah, you know. But he was a teenager. And how many times have we heard all teenagers mess up? All teenagers sin. <laughs> not Jesus. Not Jesus. And so, so he went through all those years. And sometimes we might think, well, he doesn't know what it's like to be, you know, 18 years old and not sure what you're going to do. Well, he was 18 years old. And so not only can we sympathize, but he also was the pure sacrifice. And I think that that has a lot to do with
1: that. Yeah. Let's think for a moment about another statement of Paul that is (laughs) awfully important in all of this. Galatians four, verse four tells us in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. So what does that mean? What is so essential about the time that Jesus came?
0: Yeah, because you know we could say, well, why didn't he come right after Adam and Eve sinned? Come right then, takes care of it all. Why didn't he come during the days of Daniel? Why didn't he come or right after the flood? I mean, why why did it wait to the first century for him to come? And that passage answers that. There there was a time God had a clock, and that was the time God wanted Jesus to come. And so some things that you've already said about the fulfillment of prophecy. Uh, not only to his life itself, but to the kingdom. He, he had told through Daniel, in Daniel chapter 2, in the days of these kings, God will establish his kingdom. Well, he went through Babylon, and then he went through the Persians, and then the uh, Greeks, and then the Romans. And so there, there was a set time in which Jesus was to come. Also, all those years, all that Old Testament, and when we study the Old Testament in our Bible classes, one of the lessons we learn is that Israel just... Fumbled and fumbled and fumbled. Uh, after David and Solomon, we see the division there. We see all of these kings. Most of them were corrupt. Most of them led the nation away. And so God establishes that He is the authority. He is the voice. God establishes that we are sinful and we need a Savior. All of that comes about with that. But then there, I believe there's a there's a unique element in the first century. That especially makes this fullness of time so unique. Jesus came when the entire world basically was the Roman Empire. I have traveled to different countries. you got to have a passport to go from place to place to place because different countries, different rules. As close as Canada is to us, you don't just walk into Canada without a passport. And, but with, with Rome holding all the empire... The Apostle Paul could go his first missionary journey, his second missionary journey, his third missionary journey, and travel from place to place to place to place very easily. Also, because of the Romans, basically that entire empire spoke one language, and that was Greek. Very easy to do that. Also, because of the Romans, they had roman roads now they're not like our highways but, but for their times they were very efficient so jesus came at a unique opportunity a unique time everything came together not by coincidence but by the power of god and that is what god wanted to be fulfilled it's
1: fascinating how god can use everyday things that are revolutionary advancements in our world in our society the inventors of those things may not even believe in him but god can use those things to accomplish his purposes in his time
0: absolutely next question why mary all right why mary
1: let's go back to the gospel of luke chapter one i i would offer two answers to that number one she's a daughter of abraham luke chapter three makes that clear for us matthew chapter one tells us about Joseph's background. And we know one of those foundational Old Testament passages that we really need to be aware of and be on the lookout for is is Genesis chapter 12, where God makes those promises to Abraham that I'm going to make of your line a great nation and I'm going to give that nation a land in which to live and through your family line, all of the nations... Of the earth are going to be blessed and so the Old Testament from that point follows the story of that family life all the way to Luke chapter 1 2 & 3 we are reading about a son and a daughter of Abraham who are at the the center of this but I would offer number two her heart and There's so much we don't know about her. Based on that Isaiah passage and the language that those people spoke, she is probably a very young woman, right? But Luke chapter 1, I think, gives us such a beautiful glimpse into her heart when right around verse 39 she goes and she visits her relative Elizabeth, who is also miraculously with child. Verse 41 tells us that when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. She exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you, speaking of Mary, among women, and blessed is the fruit. Of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Pay attention to verse 45. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And then Mary speaks up. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy as he spoke to our fathers to abraham and to his offspring forever we heard earlier from luke chapter 1 mary heard incredible things and treasured them in her heart we hear that in luke chapter 2 and and, and beyond why mary i i think the best answer is because of her heart
0: i believe so And and, and I I think there's a great parallel between Mary and young David. You know, David out there in the fields of Judea watching the sheep. Uh, God saw something in his heart that was going to make him become the king. And that tells us right there, our young people, our college students, our young teenagers, that don't wait till you're old to think, well, then I'm going to get it together with God. Uh, here was somebody who was getting it together with God. Or and, I
1: can be useful to God.
0: And God recognized. And God saw the value of that. And so uh, uh, that, that, I think, stands out. Of, of, all, of all the young girls in that area, Mary was chosen. And I think it's because of her heart. Now, before we go on to the next question, I've got, I've got some other questions that are on our list here. I just came to my mind. He always does that. I always do it. that. I always Merry Christmas. Okay, <laughs> here we go. All right, so the religious world uh, gets pretty uh, hung up about Mary. So three questions right together, Ralph fast. Right. Was she a perpetual virgin? Was she a virgin all her life? Okay. Is she the mother of God? And should we pray to her?
1: three rapid fire questions number 1 she was not a perpetual virgin and the way that we know that is if we keep reading in our gospels we eventually read about jesus's brothers and sisters there there is a time that mary with jesus's brothers comes and And knocks uh, or or sends a message Jesus is on the inside of a house and and there are crowds all around and they are trying to get Jesus out and the gospel writers even tell us that Jesus's brothers didn't believe who he was that's that occasion when Jesus asks who are my mother and my brothers and he looks around at his his disciples so we know she's not a, a perpetual virgin number two was is she the mother of God and in it depends on the, the sins you are, are talking about, right? We know he is Emmanuel, God with us. As, as I read her, her song, her, her exclamation there in Luke chapter 1, to me it, it is the language of I am a vessel. I, I am willing to be used by God. And I don't understand the how or the when or the why, but... My heart is open, and in that sense, she is a vessel for God even before He is born.
0: Because you know if we use the definition of God as God is eternal,
1: mm-hmm.
0: how can someone be before eternal? Yeah. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. yeah OK, then number three.
1: Number three was, should we pray to her? We never have any example ever in Scripture of anyone praying to her and for that reason i i would say no uh, number one we don't have an example of that number two she was just a human being right we have we referenced it briefly earlier from hebrews four we have a perfect all-sufficient intercessor his name is jesus, jesus. we yeah. studied in our bible classes our building blocks classes this morning from second corinthians one verse twenty all the promises of god find their yes in jesus therefore it is through him that right. we offer our Ma-
0: mary doesn't forgive our sins yeah. mary's not our savior it's jesus and that's that's something we just need to appreciate
1: i'm i, I didn't know what was coming there. you never know <laughs> all right so we've talked a little bit about the some of the background very important context let's let's get a little into the accounts. Themselves. We know, we heard from Luke chapter 2 that shepherds are notified that night of what had happened. Why shepherds?
0: Well, we're not told exactly, but in Luke 2, verse 8, in the same region, there were some shepherds staying in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night, and an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them. Uh, They didn't go to kings. They didn't go to the movers and shakers. They didn't go to Hollywood. They went to humble shepherds. Jesus is going to come humbly, and we'll see that in just a few moments. Jesus himself, in the book of Peter, is called the chief shepherd. So the very concept of, of who first got this identification outside of Mary and Joseph, it was shepherds and i think that just this speaks to his his humbleness the common people who jesus was going to be before who he came to die for and again how different if man was writing the story if man was writing the story we would we would line up all the movers and the shakers of judea we would have him coming not in bethlehem but in jerusalem or rome we would we would, we would make a big deal about that we'd have the newscasts out there we'd have trucks out there everybody's ready to interview that's not how it happened and the humble jesus okay which is an illustration of the way we're supposed to be in our walk with him yeah
1: yeah philippians chapter two right?
0: absolutely yeah. So let's just move into this. There are a lot, a lot of misconceptions about the birth of Jesus. We see him on the TV shows and things this time of year, uh, wise men and all kinds of little things. So let's just run through some of them. All right.
1: So I'm going to run through <clears throat> some and then I'm, I'm going to ask you, is, is it a big... I'll give you a little more notice than you gave me. <laughs> is, it a, is it a big deal, these, these misconceptions? I will never forget... Um, the first time at least that i was aware of um, that i had just spouted in a sermon uh, something that i was sure was in the bible i i will never forget it, it was several years ago uh, i was talking about Saul of Tarsus, on the road to Damascus to persecute Christians, and of course, we read of that powerful encounter with Jesus and i I said I, I went back and listened to it, and yeah, I, I, I said it, said something about this light shining from heaven, and it knocked Saul down off of his horse and and you know, he heard this voice, and there were others around him, and I went on from there and I I had a very careful Bible student, wise brother in Christ that that taught me so many things. He came up to me after that sermon when it was just the two of us and he said, what color horse do you think that was? And I was like, what do you mean? And he said, "You, you ought to go back one more time and find that horse. And I was just sure there was a horse in there somewhere. But, you know, it, it's interesting, there's not a horse no, mentioned in the not. book of Acts.
0: Nope.
1: nope. Uh, not there. <clears throat> and, and so I started thinking, okay, where did I get that? And And the best thing I can piece together is, you know, we've got all of this Renaissance art, and we've got all of these conceptions. We even use, of course, visual representations for different things, but... You and I have talked about before, we need to be really careful about what we throw up on a screen, what we use in Bible classes, even children's Bible classes, right? Because we can begin to build pictures through artwork, through popular songs, whatever it is, as to, well, I'm sure that's there somewhere, when in fact, It's it's not there. So, a couple that revolve around this account historical account as you brought up how many wise men were there we don't know we know there must have been at least two it's it's spoken of in in the plural could have been 20 I I don't know we're not specifically told how many wise men there were it is not uncommon in scenes that are painted for us or or constructed for us in modern culture to to have this scene of a stable or a shed of some sort and a a star right over that that little dwelling where where we've got this scene painted for us. But if you go back and you carefully read, we don't read about a star. Over that, wherever that was on the night that Jesus was born. The star comes in later. We've got wise men from the east. If they travel from Babylon, that's 900 miles. That's a long ways away. We don't know exactly where they started, but the shepherds on the night of his birth are not told to look for a star, they're told to look for a baby. In a manger, right? The star is connected to the wise men. It's not uncommon to see in these popular cultural scenes to see shepherds and wise men together. We don't read about that. We read about wise men in Matthew. We read about shepherds in Luke. Um, It is very interesting as we read Matthew's account that the wise men come after, and by the time they get there, Jesus is Mary is there with the child in a house, right? And based on what he <clears throat> ascertains from the wise men, Herod issues this decree that all male children under the age of two years old we don't know exactly how much time had happened, but as we piece Luke and Matthew together, it is not the night of right. his birth that right. these wise men show up. Uh, you, you dig into, okay, was this a barn or a stable? We're, we're not specifically told. In fact, you, you mentioned you know traveling over there. Archeological evidence seems to point probably to something more like a cave than a a barn or a stable, something like that. There are others and maybe you wanna throw in, but let me just round that off by asking you, is that a big deal i mean are we just being curmudgeons in all of this or is it a big deal that we recognize common misconceptions
0: well it's like telling a story if you don't tell it right you're not telling the story and god gives us the story and we need to as in any aspect be as accurate as biblical speak as the bible speaks is what we should be doing and so uh yeah it does matter i mean you know I, you know are we going to uh, blow a gasket because somebody says well the wise men were in the manger well that's not accurately you know that's not accurate but you know if you want to follow the bible let's just get it right and, and those things matter and and so details matter and so uh you know w- w- once you once you've looked at this story and looked at it closely and you start watching some of these shows on tv you start saying oh that's not that's not you know and you can just get real disgusted Or you can say well they just don't know and a lot of people have just like you said heard things through the years and they just assume it so what is a manger he was born in a manger or he's put in the manger what's what's a manger it's
1: a feeding trough and again we we see today a lot of times these popular conceptions of it being made of wood um culturally historically more than likely made of stone carved out of stone you can still travel to that part of the world right. today and see ancient feeding troughs cut out of stone
0: right? so you young mothers think about putting your little newborn baby in a trough or a cow just eating not very clean is it?
1: not very clean. not very clean but to your point if generation after generation after generation we're playing this telephone game and just passing along sketchy details not hard to imagine how what actually happened begins to get muddled that's right all right so what about the date itself do we know when he was born
0: december 25th year zero that's what everybody says okay you won't find that in your bible you won't find it let's go back to luke chapter 2 and i want to look at verse 1 verse 2 with you real quickly Verse 1 tells us that it came about in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census should be taken uh, in all the inhabited earth. We know pretty much from archaeology that Caesar Augustus died about the year 4 B.C. We know that. It's pretty much a fact because of all the external evidence. So if, so if Jesus is born when, he's, when this guy is still Caesar, he couldn't have been born in the year zero. In fact, there never was a year zero. That, that never existed historically. Secondly, when you look at verse 1, he's calling the census. He wants to know how many people are in the kingdom. So if you want people to travel to wherever they were born, okay, for me, if, if I was living back, and we're using our, our area today, I'd have to travel up to Indianapolis. That's where I was born, born in Indianapolis, so I'd have to go up to Indianapolis, well if you want people to travel and they're walking or they're doing um, horse or buggies or whatever they're doing back then you want a time when they can travel. And December in that area is a very rainy season and it's hard to travel. So most likely Jesus would have been born in the spring. Most likely. Now we don't have the actual date. The Bible never gives us the actual date. And so It's for those reasons, though. Now, where did December 25th come about? Well, historically, as more and more of the empire was becoming Christians or forms of Christians, there was a date for his death. And we talked about the idea of the resurrection and such things as that. But there's no date for his birth. And December 25th happens to be a pagan day of Saturn, if I remember right. And so they just converted that number to the birth of Jesus. They can, these people already were worshiping that day. Let's just make it now the Christian day. And that's really the basis of where they got that date. There's no biblical reference. There's no Bible behind that. It was just kind of a uh, thinking of some uh, scholars a long time ago, and they weren't right on that. Yeah, so, yeah. okay? Okay, so uh, where are we at here? Okay, okay. Um, Number eight. Number eight. What place did the birth of Jesus have for the early church?
1: Let's go back to First Timothy three, and if you wouldn't mind just keeping your Bible open there or marked, and I'll, I'll come back to that here in just a few moments. Short answer is, there's no annual observance, as these earliest Christians are guided by the apostles, who are being guided by the Holy Spirit. We don't ever read about a an annual celebration of his birth or his circumcision or a particular miracle that he performed or even his resurrection we don't read about an annual observance of okay once a year we're going to celebrate this on this day as more significant than all other first days of the week we don't read about an annual celebration of his ascension it is acknowledged and described as really having happened right we heard paul in philippians chapter 2 earlier you look at first timothy chapter 3 and we'll we'll come back to this in just a moment but right around verse 16 of that chapter paul is is quoting what appears to be some Early poem, maybe even an early Christian hymn. We know that it is laid out poetically, perhaps something that they would sing together in the first century. And the first line of that is, He was manifested in the flesh. But when these writers talk to us about His birth, this is the way they do it. This happened. And they move on to tell the rest of the story, right? It is not the focal point of the story Uh, it is an indispensable part of the story it is most certainly good news as those shepherds heard but if it was simply a baby was born we are still in our sins right Paul reasons in 1st Corinthians 15
0: a baby's cute but the baby doesn't command a baby's cute but baby is not the savior on the cross that's that's the difference and so uh, again we have to kind of appreciate that
1: all right last question what should all of this mean to me
0: well first of all it means that god cares about you i mean god came from heaven to earth and that's that's the means which he chose to come and it shows humbleness it shows jesus fulfilling the plan of god the fulfillment of prophecy uh, one writer said the purpose of the birth was the death. The purpose of the death was the resurrection. The purpose of the resurrection was our salvation. And that's what ultimately leads to the salvation of us. And so the birth of Jesus is important. It's, it's a biblical fact. We need to appreciate it, understand it, know all the things about it, not be, not be afraid to talk about it to, with anybody. This is a good time of year to talk about because everybody else is talking about it. But what we need to see in this is it leads To something else and it leads to something else and what it leads to is you and me and jesus and that's the most important thing
1: if you've turned away uh, if you'll open back up with me to first timothy chapter three why what is the invitation song we're going to sing here in just a moment magnify oh magnify we will sing together in just a few moments Lots of ways to think about this amazing event that really happened, that is an indispensable part of our story, but I want you to think about how truly unique all of this is. There have been, how many times, hundreds, a thousand, thousands of times that A baby was born, and eventually that baby grew up and became a king. But this is the only time in history that a king became a baby. And that is truly significant, because it it, it reminds us of who... He is. Roger mentioned that uh, there are plenty of people who are, are fascinated by the idea of baby Jesus... ...but not so fascinated when he grows up and begins talking about taking up a cross and following him. But this is bedrock. Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 3 verse 14 writes to Timothy, who has been left in Ephesus and says, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness, He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. You just think line by line about what is being communicated there. He was manifested in the flesh. He, He was really born. He was... Vindicated by the Spirit. He was really raised from the dead. He was seen by angels. He really ascended into the heavens. He was proclaimed among the nations. This news contained in our New Testaments really matters. Here's the response that all of this news, this entire story is calling for. Line number five, he was believed on in the world, taken up in glory. And of course, the end of the story is, he is going to come again. Not as a little baby, that has been accomplished Right? Not as someone coming to fix all of the ills of human society right now. He is coming as the king. He is coming as our judge. He is coming as our savior. And so we're going to sing a song magnifying this king together. We so appreciate you being here tonight. And if there is something That we can do for you this evening. If we can pray for you. If you've reached the point where you know it is time to submit your life to this king. Would you let us know how we can help by coming to the front while we stand and sing.